going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. Happy Monday. Hope all is well with you and yours. And the weekend went just spectacularly. The number of conversations that we've had over the last couple of days in terms of, oh, I just can't wait to get out of the deep freeze. Just can't wait to get out of the... We're now at that point where I think our brains are starting to freeze just a little bit. I think we're not... As much as this is Alberta, and we should... We're not surprised by the cold, I don't think. But it's it's funny how I found myself shoveling the snow on Saturday or Sunday and going, you know, I miss cutting the grass. When do we get to do that again? It's awful to think, but at the same time, it was one of those fun little comments. And so hope you're braving it well. And I had to laugh a little bit more as I walked into the office today. There's a little sign in, on one of the whiteboards that says days until we hit plus five. And it's been up for a while. But I think there's this, I think we're giving ourselves some false hope in the building because all, the days keep getting, going up. I think, where are we at, like 15 now or some something like that? I don't know. I, as much as we, some of us like to complain about the cold, and I'm not one of them. I'm actually not complaining. It's just, I, I like middle of, middle of the road. I like, I would love it to be minus 10 with 20 centimeters of snow because I think that would be a lot more help for our farmers and ranching friends than what we're getting now, which isn't a whole lot of snow and just a whole lot of bitterly cold right now. That being said, I always say I can dress up for winter. I can't dress down in the summer. It's called indecent exposure. On today's show, we are going to continue the topic. Rob started off during the one o'clock hour talking variable speeds on Deerfoot. Is that the, the thing that might help us? In that gridlock that we see every single day. I'm going to rant on it a little bit. And then we'll chat with uh, Ward 12 Councillor Shane Keating. His, he's been the chair of the Transportation Committee. He has been on this file uh, basically from the moment he walked in. Because let's face it, uh, that is the, the gateway between he and the downtown, uh, his riding in the, uh, or his ward in the downtown course. We'll chat with uh, the councillor in just a couple of minutes here. Also... The province unveiling its anti-racism advisory council today. A couple of co-chairs and a whole bunch of members, 24 in total, to advise the government when it comes to, on, uh, comes to strategies in ending racism. Heather A. Campbell is one of those co-chairs, and she'll join us after 4 o'clock. Also, uh, City Council back at it again today. Full-blown meeting, as you've been hearing in the news. We'll chat with Aurelio Perry and a whole bunch more. We'll end the show with some more feel-good stuff because, man, there's just... Too much politics lately, but that's all right. We will get into uh, the politics or maybe not politics, but a lot of Deerfoot talk next here on Calgary Today. I don't think I've talked about Deerfoot. I always go off about Stony, but never Deerfoot. I still fail to understand why the inside lanes of Deerfoot continue to be backed up every single day. And I get it that capacity is an issue and i get it that there are bottlenecks but it's a freeway meaning it intersects with the inside lanes in both directions do not connect with anything you should be able to go straight through so the only time that the inside lanes of deerfoot 
the only time they should ever be backed up is when there's an actual crash in the middle of the road. In my head, this is, I, I know I'm oversimplifying it, but congestion aside, it shouldn't be as bad as it always is. Uh, you even just heard it in the traffic report. It's already backing up. What's the problem? And so there's a lot of ideas being floated around. And obviously the big one is, hey, we just need more lanes. But our next guest tends to think that maybe that's not the fix for it because more lanes just means more people are going to be okay with the idea of using it again versus using Stony or other roadways. Councillor Shane Keating joins us now on the program. Councillor, uh, thanks so much for the time today. Well, no, thank you. I always appreciate coming on and talking about improvements for our city. Yeah, and especially when it comes to Deerfoot Trail. I know a lot of people sitting in the grind every day, it seems like. And there's a few bottlenecks, but you've been involved in this file for a while, being as as the chair of the Transportation Committee and in and, and different aspects. And I wonder, what is the best option going forward for fixing some of these bottlenecks? Well, we have to have concrete uh, fixes in the future. Uh, today, what we're looking at is some short-term or better uh, ways of managing traffic until such time as we can really get, because we do know that Anderson and Glenmore drops to two lanes. We've got to expand that to three. There's no doubt about that. But in the meantime, uh, what can we do? And so they're looking at a number of what you would call intelligent traffic controls to be able to uh, find different ways for traffic to continually flow rather than the stop and go that we see today. That variable speed idea is nothing new by any stretch, but it's certainly something that council and, and in the city of Calgary we haven't seen. So what, what for those who have never heard of it or seen it, what's it all about? Well, what you actually do is times of congestion, you would actually lower the speed on the deer foot. So instead of 100K, you're only allowed to do 70. Um, and interesting, you know, it kind of, you would think that's counter to what you're trying to do. But the critical congestion or density on a road changes as the speed changes. So the faster you go, the bigger the gaps are between the vehicles, uh, and you have fewer cars actually on that space on the road. Uh, slower you go, the gap reduces. You can get more uh, cars on there, that critical density. And as long as you can structure it in such a way that that traffic can continue at a certain speed, whether it's 50, 60, or 70, uh, you will actually find that you will get more traffic through than allowing it to be at 100K. How important is it to come up with something that can be done relatively quickly? Because this is a process that, uh, just looking back through our files, I mean, you, this is something that's been going on and talked about for years. And in particular, even in the last couple of years, it's it's really heated up. And so there's, there's that point of, you know, you don't want to drag your heels waiting for some major fix to happen. At the same time, you don't want to do something that's so cost heavy that you decide that becomes the permanent fix because you've already in, uh, invested way too much. Yeah, no, and I think these do exactly that. Is They can be implemented quickly. They can be monitored very good. Um, you know, we look at the studies that go and they talk about uh, 21 and 30% increase in traffic flow by reducing the speed at the right time. Part of the difficulty we have if, if you've got a large uh, or a speed going at 100K and one side of the road is going slow and the other one's going a little faster, people are continually lane changing and then that causes a bit of a problem because you get the domino effect as people slow down in the stop and go. So what we need today is some way of changing that 
I guess, mentality, the method of travel, um, so that you can actually continue going down in um, in such a way that you're you're stopping the lane changes, which actually reduces the accidents, increases the safety, and allows more traffic to continue flowing through. So we need that today. The study actually studied the whole Deerfoot, right from the far north to the far south, um, and it, it will look at all of the congestions and what are the possibilities. But these are ones that could be imp- implemented very quickly. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the one, there. there's two big ones that come to mind during rush hour, especially when you're going out of the city, for example, as we are right now, or getting you know towards the, the suburbs is you look at uh, between 64th and McKnight, and then you look at, as you mentioned before, Anderson and, and Bow Bottom, that intersection there but to, at, to Glenmore. Uh, those two are, are probably the ones that you want to be able to tackle first, aren't they? Exactly. And I mean, there's another one there. If you reduce the speed, uh, you could actually use the shoulder as another lane of traffic and allow more flow through. Um, that might lead to a few more lane changes as people are trying to exit and, you know, and go past and exit. Um, but the uh, the fact that you're getting uh, an increased lane at a slower speed uh, where you don't need the shoulder as much as you would in other cases uh, allows you to uh, synchronize driver behavior so that the slower speeds will actually be safer and allow more vehicles to go through at a certain time. Outside of, you know, reconfiguring the bridge altogether, but that Cafro bridge always backs up. And I think part of the problem, especially come wintertime, is that the sun's setting just late enough that all of a sudden everybody's looking directly into the sun. Is there any way to change that that you guys have seen over the last little while other than maybe slowing the the, uh, the speed limit there as well? Yeah. Well, and, and that's, I guess, where we get into the stop and go, go and the domino effect. Um, if you're driving at a high speed and you make the curve and you you're, can't see as well, then you're going to slow down very rapidly. Everyone behind you has to slow down at an even more rapidly pace, and eventually you get to the point where traffic stops completely. Slower speeds, that's not going to happen, um, because if you're rounding the curve, you're already doing 60 or 70 at certain times of the day, and there is more intelligent um, devices. There are sensors you can put in the road that sense the time of day, they sense the traffic, uh, and they would automatically reduce the speed. A lot of these studies, they're done on the old model where it's just automatically between 5 and 7. The speed limit on Deerfoot is a certain speed, not 100K. But there are ways that you can actually incorporate a lot of technology uh, to be proactive proactive logic is what they call it, uh, dynamically prevent the bottleneck uh, situations before it actually happens. I might be putting the cart a little bit before the horse, but I, I do want to ask about uh, high vo- uh, high volume lanes and high occupancy lanes and, and the stuff that you see in other communities. And I wonder, because Deerfoot goes from four to three to two to four to two to three, to you know, the, the number of lanes seems to change, so it becomes kind of difficult to institute one of those lanes. But once you get to the point where you are able to make more lanes and make it more uh, common across the, the entire roadway. Is that then when we start talking about uh, those kinds of HOV lanes? Well, I think we have to increase the lanes for sure, but they have to have a specific purpose. Uh, we do know that typically if you increase lanes and you do no changes, all you're going to do is increase the demand, which gives you the same problems you had, but just at a future future date. And then you're going to say, well, we need more lanes. So, so HOV, HOV toll lanes, and a number of those scenarios, um, this smart technology to be able to uh, change the speed limit. Um, there are different ways, as you see around the world, where 
the far right lane is a toll lane and you get on it, but you have to stay on it for a certain distance. Um, you know, you would enter, you would pay a toll, you would drive, but you've got to be on it for quite a while before you can exit. There's blocked. So that would be for people who are, want to get out of the city and not worry about all of the exits and things. So there, there's a number of different things that could be put in place. Um, but the first thing we have to do is do temporary fixes. We have to fix the known problems, and then we have to add things that are going to give us better traffic flow. Does this, especially when you think about the south end, your your area in particular, does some of the changes kind of hinge on what happens with Green Line and once it's developed? Because the thought process would be is, hey, with that, that now in place, all of a sudden now you don't have as many vehicles on the roadway, and it might not be as bottlenecked as it once was. Well, a lot of people said the Stony Trail was really going to change a deer foot, and I said, no, it's not, because it'll change it in the interim, and we saw that. Um, what we ended up doing is we actually have more vehicles on now, uh, the deer foot, than we did before Stony Trail was open, but the style of vehicles have changed. There's a number of, um, you know, larger vehicles leaving, so a number of smaller vehicles get on the deer foot. Um, so that, that comes back to the increase. Um, uh, demand. Uh, the more you give, the more you'll want. So you have to have smart ways of changing traffic flow rather than just adding lanes. Um, but adding lanes is essential and adding specified lanes is essential. Councillor, I do appreciate the time and the insight into Deerfoot. Uh, have, a, have a great meeting. Thank you. You have a great day. Earlier today, the province announcing a new 24-member council that is going to be responsible for the government's anti-racism initiative. The council will be guiding the government as it develops strategies ending racism and discrimination here in our province. And to learn a little more about this is one of the co-chairs of this new advisory council, which met for the first time today. Heather A. Campbell is the co-chair of the anti-racism advisory council. She joins us now. Heather, thanks so much for the time today. Not a problem, Joe. Pleasure to be on the phone and to be working on this uh, critical work for Alberta. Mm-hmm. What is priority number one? Is there something that you guys have narrowed down and said, this is the first step in this process? Well, with the, t- the team and the council met today, uh, we are focused on providing government uh, valuable insight and advice on how to support efforts to combat racism, promote more inclusive and accepting communities across Alberta. We shaped the priorities of the council today um, and started to look at our goals for the next year and discuss how we'll achieve those goals together. Um, In terms of uh, the um, objectives we have for the next year and the um, priorities, we looked at uh, exploring the credentialing process in various professions. Um, We're looking at evaluating education resources and best practices. We'll begin work on a hate crime strategy, and we'll be assessing options to ensure that Alberta government itself and its agencies reflect the diversity and plurality of Alberta. Those are right now our first priorities. Um, There's a lot to do, um, but uh, each, each day we take a new step forward. One of the things that I've heard right off the bat is this, A, it's something that is very needed here, but beyond that is just to be able to kind of do your own sort of audit of the situation here in Alberta. And this is going to be broad-based, and I know you guys are just getting to work on it, but if there is one problem or one issue that stands front and center, what would that be? Racism really for me, and I would say, you know, for a good portion of the council, it's an economic prosperity issue. Um, racism, it's not just affecting the folks who would visibly um, or um, uh, identifiably 
um, have ex- have lived experiences of racism, it actually affects all Albertans. If you have someone who isn't able to uh, perform, isn't able to deliver the expectations that um, they have based on their talent, their education, um, because there is a barrier and that barrier actually is racism, um, as Albertans, we're not really getting value for what we for that person that who is who is a part who's a part of our community so you think about it um you have an issue like um accreditation of foreign credentials um canadians uh come to uh folks come to canada to become canadians to um to contribute to canadian society they uh come in on a on a points based system and the points are given to them based on their education their background their experience etc Mm-hmm. And then we have them in Alberta, and they're unable to perform in those roles based on those credentials that they were assessed and and were given entry to Canada. Um, it's dishonest um, for us to to, to have them in uh, low paying. Um, unmatched jobs, um, and it's demoralizing for the person that's experiencing that. Um, that's work that we can fundamentally work on and look at strategies to uh, to address a, an issue, a distinct issue like that. And not only that, but it, it kind of sets everybody back because say that person decides to leave, now you're back through the hiring process again and you're trying to fill a gap that you had three months ago or six weeks ago or whatever the case may be. So it's, it's kind of counterintuitive if the issues aren't being met head on. Absolutely. Um, racism is, is a fundamentally, it's an economic prosperity issue for all, uh, not just those who actually experience racism. Talk a little bit about the partnerships that you're going to need to develop. And I'll use uh, the court system as an example. You know, you talk about the, the fact that there there's going to need to be those communications and those uh, collaborations to make sure that uh, everybody's on the same page. Uh, the council can really act as a connector um, across Alberta. Uh, uh, obvious partnerships with uh, folks like the Human Rights Commission, um, we can both strengthen each other's existence. Um, the hate crimes unit um, would obviously live under um, Alberta justice and um, have relationships with existing law enforcement. Um, so there are I'm going to say fundamental um, alignment um, in, in, in some obvious places. Um, when you look at education, um, it's not uh, we're housed under the Ministry of Education, but it's not just education um, in the traditional sense. Um, it's across all spectrum, um, both uh, for uh, existing students, post-secondary, potentially. Um, it's, uh, we're looking at things in a broad and far-reaching um, approach um, and hoping that we can um, touch, um, you know, the 4 million-plus Albertans that, um, that live in this province. What do you think is the big, um, what do you think is going to be the big barrier, or not barrier, uh, the marker of success, I suppose, especially when it comes to First Nations? That's probably going to be uh, one of the bigger uh, issues coming up through your guys' work. Um, when working with our Indigenous communities, I think the, the marker for success in the work that we're doing uh, will be an appreciation um, for uh, their experience, um, for a path, a shared path forward, um, and for a future for Indigenous Canadians. Um, it's important to think about it in terms of 
um, data. That's that's a challenge, uh, I would say, for all um, streams of work that we're looking at. Uh, it's important to understand the benchmarks where we're starting from and the data gathering and data mining, um, particularly in Indigenous communities, is a bit challenging at this point in time. So that's, uh, I wouldn't say it's a barrier, but it's going to be a, a challenge for the council and something that we're going to be working through. Is there a strategy in place in terms or a thought process in terms of the fake racism? You hear these stories about uh, people that are, are faking the allegations or they don't, they don't turn out to be true. What, how do you handle those and how do you get that point across that, hey, this does more harm than good in the overall effort of making us all united? Uh, Joe, I'm not sure I can address uh, fake racism. I I think for me, I experienced enough real racism mm-hmm. that, uh, and the members of the council experienced enough real racism that focusing on that um, actuality is 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 significant enough uh, to get us through. All right. Is there one key message that you'd like to be heard? Oh, by the time your your worker, the the let's say a year from now, where would you like this to be? I would love for Albertans to recognize um, that racism exists and uh, that this council, um, as uh, identified by Alberta government, and we're extremely grateful um, for the opportunity to do this work and for them identifying as a priority, that we were able to create a place and an environment that uh, respected everyone that allowed for their safety to be promoted, for their security to be promoted, um, and for their prosperity and health um, to be promoted um, and supported uh, in an age where uh, we are trying to address, we're trying to eradicate, and we're trying to work um, to eliminate racism um, in the province of Alberta. Heather, I'm looking forward to seeing what your panel is able to uh, come up with, the working group. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us and giving us a little insight into what the council has uh, on its books over the next uh, year or so. Outstanding, Joe. Thanks very much. Have a great afternoon. You as well. Heather Campbell, the co-chair, Heather A. Campbell, the co-chair of the Anti-Racism Advisory Council, which met for the first time today. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Between snow and ice removal, how the budget is shaping up on that front. We had the talk again about chlorination of our water and, of course, uh, an event center or arena, whatever you want to call it. That's all up for debate at City Council meeting again today. Our own Aurelio Perry joining us now on the phone. Aurelio, how are you? Hey there, Joe. Let's uh, talk about, let's go first off with the uh, chlorination of the water. And where are we at in that whole discussion? Well, I think you're... uh a bit confused. Chlorination occurs. Or chlorination. Chlor- yeah. Fluoridation. Fluoridation. It's happening right now. The uh, discussions occurring right now. Uh, Councillor Diane Collier-Urquhart resurrecting, uh, if you fail, try, try again. She brought back an, a motion from three years ago that failed nine to five in a vote. It's the exact same motion that just has dates scratched out for 2016 and has dates for 2019 put in, wanting the O'Brien Institute at, uh, for Public Health at the U of C uh, to do a study on all the evidence that's out there on uh, fluoridation and come back with a report with some, uh, you know, here's what's out there, here's what other cities are doing, uh, here's what some of the scientific evidence is saying. So she's trying to get council to approve this study, which uh, the O'Brien Institute for Public Health would do at no cost. So uh, 
she's uh, got one of the the scientific director, Dr. William Galley, is up asking, answering questions, that is, from uh, members of council on the issue. As you mentioned, this is something that I was brought up by a counselor call your cart three years ago, and I want the only thing that's really changed over the last three years is the makeup of council. So, uh, I'm going to make you put on your your crystal ball here for a second. Do you get the sense that there might be a little more desire to try this out this time around? Well, I think this time uh, they're you know she's trying to stress this isn't about how to get fluoride in the water. We just want a study of the information that's out there. So then when it comes back to a committee in June, uh, they can uh, crap on it then or if they want to, or they can accept it and maybe uh, move forward. Uh, Already you've had talk uh, from people saying, well, you know, are there other issues besides fluoride? Is it uh, uh, other health issues that they have that are causing poor dental health? Is it lack of a, you know, a basic income that causes people not to focus on dental health? Those types of issues some members of council are saying should also be studied versus just fluoride, putting fluoride in the water and what benefits there are. Is there a concern at all that we're going to have a repeat of the, the hearings that we had back when uh, you and I were tag-teaming the council uh, uh, meetings and sitting there going, okay, through tons and tons of uh, public hearings and every person wanting to... to, And I think those hearings went on days. So is there any concern that this is going to drag on again? Well, if if they vote to have this report, it's going to go back to the City Hall Committee and the public hearing is basically part of it. Mm -hmm. So you will have another public hearing again. And what, en- and what ends up happening is you pit public, uh, you pit the healthcare network against the the thoughts of those who believe that it needs to be uh, out of the water altogether, and we have basically a repeat of history in a sense. Is, is that sort of what's what's coming down the line if they say yes to this? Yeah, the, I think you're. We're headed for the same exact thing. It's just looking at what other new evidence is there. Um, like uh, Drew Farrell is now talking about Europe here, mm-hmm. what's happening in Europe. Uh, other things that are improving oral health in Scotland she's talking about right now. So uh, these guys are extremely bad themselves for just taking an issue and beating the heck out of it. <laughs> uh, speaking of those kinds of issues, snow removal is still uh, front and center. And you did file a story a little earlier on in the afternoon surrounding uh, budget updates on that front. Can you give us a bit of a Coles notes on where we, we stand on that front? Uh, pretty much. Uh, I think the city has been challenged a bit uh, because of the colder weather we've had. Uh, they can't be using some of the uh, chemical solutions that they have to pre-treat the roads that only work to a certain temperature. So you're, you've got the old-fashioned gravel going onto the roads right now. And the uh, city has spent about uh, $12 million so far in the first two months of this year, which uh, the transportation GM says is about you know on track for this type of year. The uh, snow and ice budget runs as opposed to running for a winter season, it runs from a calendar year from mm-hmm. January to December. So the budget's $41 million, and they've spent 12. Uh, you've still got uh, March, which is usually a heavy, could be a heavy snow mm-hmm. month. You're hoping not. 
But then, you know, April, May, June, July, August, you don't have any money really spent in that regard. And then until, you know, November, December, those areas. Aurelio, I appreciate uh, all that you do and giving me um, give, giving me a little bit of the gears over the fluoridation versus chlorination. I, I'm glad that you're able to, to put my money where my mouth is on that one. So thank no you. No problem. <laughs> Aurelio Perry, our City Hall reporter, joining us. Uh, my brain and my mouth are not working hand in hand at all right now. Man, oh man. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. A lot of our country's best athletes have converged on our province. The Canada Games 2019 edition are well underway in Red Deer. And Alberta doing very well for itself. 16 gold medals, 19 silver, 13 bronze for 48 total. Enough for second place thus far behind Quebec, who's running away with things so far with 88. One of those athletes here in Alberta who has been uh, clean in house, Basically, in artistic swimming is Jamie Zarkowski. Get this. Gold in duet female. Gold in solo female. And gold in team female. Very good showing. And Jamie joins us now on the program. Jamie, thanks so much for the time today. Hi. How does it feel having all that metal around your neck? It feels amazing. My favorite part is having the medals for Alberta and, like, Swimming for Alberta and getting the gold medals for Alberta, honestly. It, it is fantastic. Walk us through uh, the feelings that go through you when you realize that you did so well in these games. Um, honestly, it just feels amazing because I put so much hard work into the past few months of training. And it makes me really proud, like everything I've accomplished from all my training. Did you think when the game started that you would be holding any medals? Were you just going for personal bests? Or what were what was your mindset going into these games? Well, our team knew we had a pretty good chance. But I didn't think I was going to be going home with three gold. But that still didn't stop me. Like I wanted to work my hardest. And hopefully I got three golds. And then I ended up getting gold. So it was really exciting. It's very, it's always fun to talk to athletes who have different backgrounds. And for you, uh, it's funny to read some of the stuff on, on the website. And one of those stories happens to be that, was it a neighbor that actually influenced you to get into synchronized swimming in the first place? Yes. She was a really good synchro swimmer. And she actually went to the 2015 Canada Games and won gold. Unreal. So that also inspired me. Yeah. No, how, how did you get involved in the first place? How long have you been swimming for? Uh, this is my ninth year swimming, and it's all because of her, honestly. So Unreal. It's a it's very cool story to hear. What does it mean to you to represent your province and do so well in front of the hometown crowd? I mean, this is, this is an Alberta crowd. They're obviously cheering you on. Yeah, I think it's the best part, and having the home crowd behind me when I was competing was much more exciting and made me more motivated to swim and have like that support. When you're getting your medal, you're standing on the podium, who are you looking out towards? Is there anybody in the crowd that you're like, that's who I, I need to focus on, and that's why I'm as proud as I am right now? I like to look at my coach because she gets really excited, but I also look at like my family, <laughs> like my mom, my dad, and my brother. And you train, they're just really happy. That's very cool. And you train right here in Calgary, correct? Yeah, we actually trained at Repsol, which is like where we competed. Okay, well, that's, that is awesome. When it comes to, I mean, you're still a young lady here. You you cleaned house, and yet you're, what, 15, I understand? Yep. What is the, when, or is it, obviously Olympics, I'm guessing, is what you've got uh, going down the path for you? Yeah, that's my goal. What's the next goal for maybe the next year here? What do you have set in your sights? 
for this year coming up, um, nationals is coming up, so I hope to get gold again. I'll be competing against the same girls, so it'll be like a really tough competition. And then in the summer, I hope to make another national team, um, if there is one, mm-hmm. because I've been on the last two national teams in the past two summers, so I hope to continue that. Well, we hope you have continued success because uh, so far, so good and in such a young career. Uh, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us and giving thank us a little you. insight into, into how you did. That was fantastic. Jamie, so, uh, Jamie is uh, a artistic swimmer. Zarkowski is her last name. There we go. Uh, picking up three gold at the Canada Games up in Red Deer. Uh, love doing these. We're going to continue through the course of the week as well, uh, highlighting not only the athletes, but we're also looking at a few other different options in terms of some of the, the people that have made the games as good as they have been. I know a lot of a lot of people have been emailing saying uh, these games have been going off without a hitch and having a lot of fun watching every sport going on. So a kudos to not only the athletes, but all the organizers, the volunteers, and everybody else who's been involved. Uh, been really great to see. Scalger today on 770. CHQR. Back in the fall, I introduced you to a young gent by the name of Dustin Milne, a member of the Alberta Ghostbusters. And they do a lot of public appearances and they do some fundraising as well. And it just so happens that a lot of people have been talking about the possibility of the movie returning and coming to our city. Dustin joins us now on the program to talk more about that. Dustin, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me again. Let's start with the news that came out over the last week or so. And how excited are you to hear that there's even the potential or the thought process that a Ghostbusters movie could be filmed right in your own backyard? I think it's uh, past the point of could. It uh, sounds like it's happening. The stage union confirmed, and I've been hearing it from so many different sources that I think it's legit. How do you wrap that around your head? Well, I mean, it's like a childhood dream come true. You know, I was, I've been a Ghostbusters fans for 30 plus years and never in a million years did I even expect a third movie to happen, let alone being filmed in Calgary of all places. So when the news hit, it, at first we were all kind of like, yeah, yeah, sure, clickbait or, you know, whatever. But uh, as it kind of started to get a little bit more legit, it was like, oh, my God, how do we how do we get in on this? Let's all be extras. <laughs> I was just going to ask you is how do you pitch yourself? How do you make your I mean, you guys make a pretty good case for yourselves and why you stand out and should be a part of it. Are you already looking at different ways of, of getting in and figuring out how to how to get yourselves into it in some way, shape or form? Well, luckily, I already work in uh, the production industry uh, on the live side of things. But, uh, you know, there's a couple crossovers on them. So I've been reaching out to just about everybody I know saying, hey, if you hear anything, (laughs) let me know. It's amazing to me is how things can develop so quickly like that. And so from from that standpoint, when it comes to looking over things, how how close are you going to be watching all of the uh, all the different developments and trying to figure out, you know, who might be in the movie and and that kind of thing? Well, at first I was like, ah, you know what? I just kind of want to be surprised. I don't really want to read into it too much. Of course, all the, you know, Facebook Ghostbusters fan pages, any anything that gets leaked out there or suggested or whatever becomes, you know, oh my God, this is happening or whatever. So I've kind of put it off to the side because I just kind of wanted to, you know, go see the movie and enjoy it and not, you know, have any hopes or, you know, expectations that then don't come true. 
But now that it's being filmed here, I don't know. I uh, I kind of want to know more. <laughs> how how much would you like to see some of the old cast from the old movies make cameo appearances of some sort, or or try to work the old movies into what's going to be filmed here? Well, the rumor has it that, uh, of course, uh, Jason Reitman, the director, is Ivan Reitman's son, so he's put out that it's going to be a continuation after the the original two movies. So I I think he has to do, you know, the cameos at least. But I think it's gonna I think they're going to be a major part of the story. But again, just a just a kid's hope. <laughs> Last time we checked in with you, you were doing a, a lot of uh, cool things. That massive display that you were showing off. A little birdie let me know that you guys uh, made a little check presentation as well. Walk us through uh, what you guys have been doing over the last uh, couple of weeks here with that. Yeah, you know, I'm proud to say the uh, the Alberta Ghostbusters dropped off a check for just over $9,000 that we raised last year to the Alberta Children's Hospital, uh, bringing our total for the last three years up to uh, just under 16000 So, you know, it's been a great, we had a great year last year and raising lots of money for the kids. And there's really no better no better way to be a Ghostbusters fan than to strap on a proton pack and flight suit and you know do some good for the community while getting to wear that stuff what was the reaction like when you dropped that check off they were super happy i mean they gave us a big tour of the hospital Um, a couple of us actually walked through the day surgery unit and got to say hi to a lot of kids that were in there and i mean every kid's reaction was kind of the same at first as soon as we came around the corner just you know their faces would light up and oh my god a ghostbuster um (laughs) some of them were coming out of surgery so i don't know if they're going to remember it but uh it was pretty special for a lot of them so it stuff like that i mean you can't you can't put a price on happiness so we're just glad that we could you know do a little part to make kids smile dustin thanks so much for the time and the updates and uh, all the best in your your ghost busting adventures Hey, thanks. And if you know anybody from Sony, uh, you know, be sure to name drop us. Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary today.